0: You turn with me to Genesis 37? We're going to read the whole chapter. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with his sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more, He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his fathers kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are you... Not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock and the man said they have gone away for i heard them say let us go to dothan so joseph went after his brothers and found them at dothan they saw him from afar and before he came near to them they conspired against him to kill him they said to one another here comes this dreamer come now let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits then he will say that a fierce an- then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams but when reuben heard it He rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. And when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and i where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put a sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites... The Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this new day. We thank you for this story where even in these brothers' own minds and sinfulness that you can work a good your name. I pray you would help us hear your word, help us believe. God, we thank you for all your many blessings in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, John. Appreciate you, brother. <clears throat> it's a lot to read, and you did a great job, so thank you. Well, we turn the corner from our buddy Jacob in part three and now we are on the home stretch of our buddy, Joseph in part four, the last part of Genesis. This will carry us all the way, basically until we celebrate the eighth birthday of the Grove church will be in November. Um, and so if you want to uh, put that down in your calendar, it's like November the 13th or so. We will go outside, We will celebrate. But it is Joseph's life that we will, Continue to journey in Genesis and through uh, through his life uh, as we do that today I want to bring your attention to something that has fallen out of favor over uh, The last several years and that is the use of the four spiritual laws now if I did a poll in here of a who knows and who's familiar with the four spiritual laws I'll bet there's not as many as there was about 30 or 40 years ago because there's a bit of a generational gap in the use of the four spiritual laws. And I think the generational gap is there because as the generations have gone by and the age of modernity has fallen away and given rise to postmodernity, if you don't know what those things are, it's basically logic and optimism and science, and you see this in the 50s and in the 60s with, with NASA and all the things that happened um, and then, and then the, the cynicism that happens with like my generation and the one that just came before us, um, which is Gen X, where we just question everything. Um, and that's just how we, that's, that's like what we do to get through the week. And so we just question everything. So cynicism is like the air that the Gen Xers breathe. And it feels like, oh, no, I'm not going to say that. All right, moving on. Uh, but there is a, there's, there's these four spiritual laws where I just, I was about to say a generational comment that was not kind and the Lord helped me. You're welcome, all you Gen Zers. All right. Um, there's the reality, right? Is that the four spiritual laws was a thing that was used a lot. It's not used as much anymore because the first spiritual law of the four spiritual laws that Bill Bright created for Campus Crusade for Christ was this God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I feel warmed. I feel good. It's true. But if I was to channel a little Indigo Montoya, I do not think it means what you think it means. (laughs) Many days we will bring together the four spiritual laws, or at least the first spiritual law, and go, man, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That must mean the American dream. That must mean life in the suburbs. Hey, y'all, we're living it. Aren't you feeling the love in the American dream? Two and a half kids, got a dog or two, no cats. You got a dog or two, you got the, you got your, your, your perfect situation in the suburbs, you got that job, and if it's in these days and ages, you also have a side hustle that's probably social media, so you don't have to work very hard, at least that's what you think. And so that provides for all your dreams and vacations and all your fun. But again, this does not mean what you think it means, that God has a wonderful plan for your life. And Joseph, the life of joseph is going to remind us that the dreams that god has for us may not always pan out in the way that we anticipated them to pan out this is the life that god has uh, is i would say that is that the life that god has called us to dream about right no of course not in joseph's story god has something good stored up for you i want to pause there I want to ask you to wonder and to think, do you believe, friends, that God has something good stored up for you, that God really does have a wonderful plan for your life? God has something good stored up for each of us, but the path to get there will be marked with hardship and difficulty and suffering. You were not with us last week. We ended uh, the story of Jacob with the story of Dinah. And if you don't know the story of Dinah, I unpacked it in 50 short minutes last week. That you can go back and enjoy on one and a half or two speed. But it's tough. It is a rough reality that God's people, though blessed and chosen and secure, are also many times have to endure much suffering. Dinah's life is a good example of that, and though we may not all think about Dinah, certainly we've heard and thought about Joseph. Friends, by far, the most recommended book that I have given to other people in all my years of ministry is Larry Crabb's Shattered Dreams. By far, that is the most Uh, Frequently recommended recommended book that I've given out or recommended to people it is Larry Crabb's shattered dreams And the reason why the premise of that book basically goes like this You have a dream for your life that God will ultimately allow to be shattered dead and buried So that he can birth in you his dream in your life And that dream is a life that finds its joys in the deep reservoir of God's presence. Not his presence, like the things that he gives you, blessings. You know, when your brothers bow down to you. Not the blessings, but the presence of God himself. We, friends, need to realize that the frequency with which I recommend that book to our people and many others is an indicator that we need to recognize something. And this quote comes from a different book, but it's by an American uh, psychiatrist named Scott Peck. He says this, life is difficult. This is a great truth, one of the greatest truths. It is a great truth because once we truly see this truth, we transcend it. And this is what he means. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult. Because once it is accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. What's he getting at here? Through the life of Joseph, we will be reminded that life is hard, and the, 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 ease, the, the easier our life will get will only come the quicker that we realize that life is going to be difficult. God does have a wonderful plan for us, but the path to get there will be marked with difficulty. Joseph was gifted and given dreams from God himself. I don't know if you've ever had a dream from God, but it's an adrenaline rush that you can never duplicate. If you've given it a dream, Joseph was given gifts and dreams from God himself, but God ultimately shattered his easy path to realizing that dream so that he could birth in him something New On the one hand and in one minute Joseph is given dreams by God that he will one day rule over his brothers and the next minute those same brothers sell him into slavery. What is going on? Here's the deal right? That kind of disorientation and difficulty happens to all of us. In the life of Joseph, this will be on repeat. And so if we don't get it today, we'll get it next week. But ultimately, it's this. We're going to have difficulties. We're going to have valleys of disorientation. And so it's better now to heed these words of wisdom and deep counsel before we're in a valley. If you don't know you're headed into a valley, if you're not there right now. It's better to heed these words now so that you can have good counsel, sound, wisdom, clear vision before you get into the valley, before you get into those life's difficulties. And so Joseph will remind us this, and this is ultimately our three-point outline for this morning. God uses every circumstance, good or evil, to accomplish his purposes for his people. God uses every circumstance, good and evil, to accomplish his purposes for his people. So let's just break that down, because we're going to see this over and over again in the life of Joseph, right? God uses every circumstance, good and evil. Point one. Joseph is 17. I don't know what you were like when you were 17. Um, or I don't know what you're going to be like when you're 17. But Joseph was 17. So if you're around 16, 15, 18, somewhere in that world, man, get ready for God to do some amazing things. God's going to show up in your life that you have, in ways that you never thought possible. Coming up soon, in a heart near you, God's revelation of your plan and what he wants Truly, these are the days where you're about to walk into those days and God is going to start show himself to you and you're going to start to either receive it and start to walk in it in obedience or hear it and go, I it feels real weird and difficult and I'm out. And that'll be the long journey around. He's still going to get what he wants. That'll be the long journey around. But Joseph is 17. He is young. He's a promising leader, right? He helps shepherd the flock. Um... But he's a bit naive. He's a tattletale. In verse 2, something I don't know that I've ever caught until this week. In verse 2, um, why does Jacob love? Why does Jacob love Joseph? Because he keeps an eye on his brothers. And the Bible and the Hebrew says, and reports their evil deeds. Well, super easy to love the tattletale, isn't it? Everybody's got a tattletale in their family. Super easy to love the tattletale because you come to realize like, oh, their reports are actually probably very honest And so I can report I can I can rely on and depend on the Tattle in the house But the problem with the Tattle in the house is they got no friends <laughs> Not in the house Their brothers and their sisters ain't having it because you get kicked out of the circle real fast When you're the person that goes tells mom and dad all of the evil deeds of the brothers and the sisters That's joseph That's our guy And so it's no wonder that jacob Otherwise known as israel So wonder that jacob Would would look at 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 joseph And go you are my guy You are my dude and here's why number one you came from my beloved You came from rachel And Rachel has passed. She is dead. She died in childbirth the last time that we came together. That was like how we ended. It was difficult to to understand that. But Rachel is no longer, and Joseph is this great reminder of Rachel. And so Jacob loves Joseph more than his brothers. And how does he show that love? How does he show that love? But he gives him a coat. And we think, well, that's strange. And I would agree That's a strange thing to do. I don't know that if I had a favorite, which I don't, (laughs) if I had a favorite, I wouldn't give him a coat. It's a weird thing to do. We're not in that age, are we? It is likely, though, this coat is not multicolored. (gasps) Shattered dreams already. It's probably not multicolored. It instead just means that it was long-sleeved, and that was a sign of royalty And so what Jacob is doing for Joseph is that he is telling him and all of his brothers, this one has the mark of the firstborn. He's one of the youngest, but he has been given the rights to the firstborn. He will take over as heir and Reuben of all people. If we remember Reuben, we read through this, we didn't unpack it. But Reuben was the firstborn. He was the firstborn of Leah. He should have been given probably the robe. But you see, Reuben messed all that up when he slept with Bilhah. If you remember reading this in Genesis 35, which was one of Jacob's wife, and that was a way in those days when you slept with your wife's concubine or your your dad's concubine, that was your way of saying, I'm taking over in this family. Jacob had messed up the whole thing with Dinah. Reuben was ready to kind of usurp his authority. How do you do that? that was the way that you did that reuben is no longer going to take the firstborn blessing it is going to be upon joseph and so this coach signified much more than what we could ever imagine because we don't even think about the blessing of the firstborn and things like that in our culture joseph is not only favored by his father which we all need we all want joseph is also favored by god And that is evidenced by dreams. The first dream in verse 7 was agricultural. The second dream in verse 9 was astronomical. Not just in its size, but in where it it pointed, right? So now you've got heaven and earth ultimately pointing to Joseph being the chosen one. I just want you to think about how that must have felt for Joseph. For him to know at 17, your whole family is going to bow down to you at some point. I'm 17, I'm taking that, and I'm running with it. For my sister that was older than me, still is older than me, I would have rubbed it in her face at any given moment. And I would have reported it as God says. Just rub it in a little bit, God says. Just so you know, if you ever doubt this, it's the Lord telling you this. Deal with it. That's Joseph ultimately doing this. Could you imagine him doing this? And imagine how this would have felt. We would have been tempted in the same way because God has promised power and position and safety and authority and blessing. And we would have been tempted in the same way that Joseph would have been tempted. And it's this, to rejoice in the blessing instead of the one who blesses. He could care less that God gave it to him. All he cares is that he's going to be in charge one day. And his heart is off. Brothers, of course, steamed with anger. In verse 4, it says they couldn't even speak peacefully to him. In verse 5, it said they hated him all the more. And at the end of verse 8, they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And in verse 11, the anger, we see the, 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 the liquid, hot magma of jealousy being the thing that's just steaming below the surface in verse 11. Right? And his brothers were jealous of him. His father kept these saying, this saying in his heart that he would rule and reign one day. So just as a side note, the Bible, Jesus in particular, says the anger in your heart is equal to murder with your hands. At this point in time, the brothers had already decided to kill him. And they hadn't yet done it. Of course, he didn't die by their hands, but they were so angry in their heart that whatever happened with their hands was just a natural outflow of what was going on in their heart. And it all stemmed from coveting, jealousy. You want to know why we're so angry? Because we go online and we covet. These are the dreams that Magnolia and HGTV are made of. You don't think it's seeping into your heart. It's there. I know because I have Fubo, and I've watched Magnolia, and I was like, what is going on in my heart? It's jealousy. I never wanted shiplap in my life, and I'm totally late for it. (laughs) Coveting, then drawing, then to anger when I don't get what I want, how I want it, when I want it. Now they got what I want. I want to murder them. I may not murder them, but I might be angry and wonder why it is that they have that and we don't because God loves you it's way easier friends as two things as a result of this right is that when when the brothers start to covet and and ultimately uh start to kill him that coveting friends is going to steal and kill your joy you cannot be joyful and coveting you can't be joyful and jealous those two things are an antithesis to one another if you want to find joy, you might want to find the ways that jealousy and coveting is taking root in your heart and cut it out. Social media, anybody? This is exactly what the boys tried to do, and that is to kill Jacob, verses 18 through 20. Look, they saw him from afar. Before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, hey, here comes that dreamer. Y'all know the one. One with the coat on. Come now. Let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And then we will say a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what comes of his dreams. They are intent to murder. And again, just as a side note, a couple of things that come from this. It is always, friends, easier to hate someone when they are a shadowy figure in the distance. Just take that in. It is always to be angrier or mad at someone when you've created some vision of them in your mind and they're still far away from you. But that is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is to draw near to his enemies, to become one of them, and of course to sacrifice himself for them. If you find yourself angry at people that you don't know or that you haven't seen in a long while, draw near. Invite them around the table and exchange hostile relationships for friendly ones. That's called reconciliation. Draw near. It's always easier to hate and to want to put someone out of your life when they're but a shadowy figure in the distance. Break bread with them and you will find a deep reservoir of mercy for them because you now start to hear their story and realize why they are the way, you, the way they are. You start to realize that God has shown you mercy in unbelievable ways. That's kind of takeaway one from this. But takeaway two from this is that, hey, friends, submission has always brought out the worst in us. You know what? That's what the brothers are doing, aren't they? Oh, he wants to reign over us? I ain't having that. We'll see what becomes of those dreams. Submission has always brought out the worst in us. I can tell you in the wedding ceremonies that I've done where I talk about the husband's job is to love their wife by laying down his life for them. And then I say the woman's job, and I know this is very traditional and very 1950s, but also in the Bible. And the woman's job is to show uh, her love for her husband by submitting to him and there have been a time or two where the, the whole bridesmaid's uh, corner goes, oh, Did you just say the S word? Submit. Yes. Submission brings out the worst in us. Adam and Eve didn't submit to God. Abraham didn't submit to God with Hagar. Jacob didn't submit to Isaac's desire to bless Esau. Levi and Simeon didn't submit to Jacob's response. And now the brothers are incensed that they would have to submit to the young, their younger, arrogant brother. The brothers eventually agree on the plan that will sell Joseph to the nearby traders. If you miss this, this all happens in Shechem. This is all where Dinah had her terrible incident. They just can't keep their hands and feet out of trouble. Right? It all happens there. And if you also didn't notice, who did they sell them to? The Ishmaelites. It's all coming full circle for the household of God and of course it wasn't good enough to just kill him or leave him in a pit or just to leave him in a pit Judah wants to profit off of Joseph Judah sees this as a great opportunity to profit from Joseph's loss in 26 through 28 and the narrator though ends this depressing story with a little bit of hope in verse 36 meanwhile the Midianites aka the Ishmaelites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar giving us a little preview of what is to come an officer of pharaoh the captain of the guard it is through that sail that we were reminded that god is using friends all circumstances good and evil all of it is under his control but go back to how we started this life is difficult and though we are tempted to think that god is not in control when things go awry who else could be Who else would you want to be in control when chaos erupts in our lives? The brothers think they are gaining control over their future, but in an ironic twist, they are unwittingly playing right into the hands of the author of the whole thing. God is using all circumstances, good and evil, to accomplish his purposes, point two. Joseph is clearly a gifted leader, but he's got some growing up to do, doesn't he? We all do as young leaders, um, but I would just say, like, who has a dream about their family and then goes and tells them about that dream that they're going to bow down to him? Only a naive person and only a person who has been given a dream, given a vision, given a calling, and yet does not yet have the character to hold it. God will produce that character in the man of joseph but it will take over two decades of slavery false accusation imprisonment abandonment betrayal and eventual ascension to the number two position and all of egypt to do so god has a, free, a dream for you joseph that's good news but to realize it, you'll have to walk through every valley imaginable and probably a few others that you haven't even thought of yet would you still want that dream Would you still want the end result if you knew that you'd have to walk through those terrible valleys along the way, if those terrible valleys meant that you met Jesus along the way and you were formed in your character to be able to hold the dream? Would you still want the calling and the vision and the dream? Sometimes God will allow severe disappointments to test us, to burn away the things in our souls that don't belong to him so that we can become the kind of people that he will use to bless others. Joseph had no interest in blessing his brothers. Hey, good news, guys. Had a couple dreams. Both of them mean you're going to bow down to me. Looking forward to it. See you in the fields where I get to report your evils. God was going to, to, to produce in him something, and it would come through difficulty, and it's going to come through difficulty for you. The main difficulty is we don't know how to use our phones. Maybe that's the new soundtrack to the sermon, and I don't know it yet. <laughs> this is amazing. The Lord has his way of breaking us, doesn't he? Giving us a little humor because this is difficult. Look at Romans 5. Romans 5 in the New Testament says, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Do you rejoice in your sufferings? It's not been my experience. My experience with sufferings is, I'd like for this to end now, quickly. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing what helps us rejoice in our sufferings. We know that God has a purpose in the sufferings. Suffering produces endurance. Oh, God wants his people to have perseverance, resiliency, and endurance. And endurance produces, oh, there's that word, character that holds the calling. And character produces hope. We can't get hope without character. Can't get character without endurance. Can't get endurance without suffering. And hope does not disappoint or put us to shame because God's love The hope that we have is that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, poured lavishly. This was the heart of training for these new Christians in Rome, which was a terrible place to live if you were a Christian. Paul trained all the new churches this way, though. In Philippians 1.29, it says to a very early, early Christian's, a very new church 129 it has been granted to you early new church what are some new fundamental foundational things that you, we need you to know as christians it's been granted to you for the sake of christ that you should not only believe upon him but also suffer for him it's a gift that's what he says We go, oh, that's isolated just philippi and rome well when he went back through all those churches and lystra and derby and iconium you want to know one of the things that Luke wrote down so that the early Christians would be encouraged? It's going to warm your heart. It's in Acts 14, 22. It's the part, it's, what did he tell them? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations. Oh, okay, well, that's just Paul. He's kind of obsessed with all that. Nah, it was Peter too. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 4. It's all coming up on the screen, hopefully. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. Don't be surprised, y'all. Let the fiery trial, when it comes upon you, to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Y'all, God is doing something amazing. He has given some of us dreams and visions and callings, and, which, may mean, um, which may mean that we have to go through some difficult times to realize them. He will call us to things, and instead of simply giving to those things to us in the way that we think he has promised, with the timing that we expect him to fulfill them, in the way that we had hoped, he will mature us along the way with every disappointment. So what has God given you that you have given up on? Maybe it's long away. Maybe it's it's 20 years ago God said something to you or impressed something to you or you read something in the scriptures that just kind of always continues to come back up in your soul. You've delayed it and you've delayed it and you've delayed it. What has God given you that you've given up on because of difficult circumstances, because things got hard, or because of other really good things getting in the way? How then does it change how you suffer knowing God is inviting you into something you could never gain except through that suffering? Doesn't it make you want to endure and persevere? Doesn't it make you want to depend on God and go, Lord, what are you inviting me into about my character that you want to develop in me over time? God is using all circumstances, good and evil, to accomplish his purposes. That's character formation. That's spiritual formation. That's maturity along the way. He wants that for us, for his people. And I'm going to add this part in the point through his son he's doing all of this he's going to allow or orchestrate circumstances good and terrible to accomplish his his purpose for his people through his son it can be said that joseph was sent to egypt and he spent his 20s and 30s some might say that's the best years of your life and he sent them in prison he sent them and he spent them enslaved he spent them forgotten, that God would sacrifice Joseph's 20s and 30s, growing him, so that in his latter years, he would be an instrument of salvation for God's people. This is going to come up on the screen as well, Genesis 45, 5, and when you ask, what do you mean we sacrifice Joseph so that he could be an instrument of salvation, look at what Joseph says. Talks to his brothers here in 45, 5, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. Hey, guys. You did a heinous thing those years ago. Don't be angry at yourself. Don't be distressed. Because you sold me here, for God sent me here before you to preserve life. Without Joseph being sold into slavery twice, in what way will God save his people from the famine that drove them into Egypt? I don't know if you remember this. Probably not. I didn't. In Genesis 15, 16, uh, when when God gives the Abrahamic covenant to Abraham, and he says, hey, like, I'm going to bless you. Your your descendants are going to be numerous as the stars. And he gives this warning, but your descendants are going to go and be enslaved for 400 years until the sins of the Amorites are fulfilled so that when he does eventually go in and send Joseph and the rest of Israel into the promised land, to kill them it was fully justified because of their sins how all that how does all that get worked out right if not for god allowing a few things to happen to joseph along the way joseph and his story shows that god is working the salvation of ourselves and others through suffering and it points to jesus this is the best part, I think, just as Joseph's, look at all the parale- parallels from Joseph to Jesus. You want to see where Jesus is in the Old Testament? It's right here. Here's some, some, a few really poignant parts of how Joseph's story is going to point us to our ultimate hope in Jesus. Don't miss this now. Just as Joseph was sold and handed over to the Gentiles, right? so did Judas sell Jesus to the Pharisees, and hand Jesus over to the Romans or the Gentiles. Just as Joseph's brothers secretly plotted to kill Joseph in 37, 18, where it says they conspired against him to kill him, so did Jesus' brothers plot by stealth, it says in Matthew 26, to kill him. After verse 18, if you didn't notice this, Joseph's voice goes silent kind of interesting that they have put him in a pit and we have no recorded lament of Joseph in the pit, even though his brothers are outside the pit, eating the meal with their calloused hearts. It was as if he had submitted to his fate just as the suffering servant submitted to God's plan. In Isaiah 53, 17, he was oppressed. Isaiah looks forward 700-800 years to Jesus. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silence, so he opened not his mouth. Right? It goes on. Not only any of all of this, but there was a substitution that took place. Y'all feel me right here, violin in right here, just as Jacob, remember Jacob, substituted the goat's flesh for Esau? Who is this? It's your servant Esau, with goat's skin on him. Mr. Jacob substituted goat's flesh to deceive Isaac, and his sons now were substituting goat's blood to deceive Jacob. Jesus substituted his flesh and his blood to receive you. There is no deception, much reception. And finally, just as Joseph was stripped of his robe of royalty signifying his father's ultimate approval of him, Jesus was mocked with a robe of royalty showing his father's love and approval for you. Jesus was mocked with a robe of royalty, and he has given us robes of righteousness, robes of royalty. We'll end with this vision of Revelation 7. You may say, what do you mean this robe of royalty? Look at what happens in eternity. Revelation 7 coming up on the screen. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. From all tribes and all peoples and all languages standing before the throne. We're right there with them. Right before the Lamb of God. And what are we wearing? Clothed in white, I dare I say long sleeve robes before him with palm branches and their hands crying out with a loud voice oh salvation and all of salvation not just the beginning not just the middle but the end of all things right salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb we will one day be clothed with the full measure of God's glory and righteousness but until then One degree at a time. Through suffering, through tribulation, through betrayal, through people forgetting our gifts, through neglect, will we go on the stock market of life till we have the character to hold the calling which God would have for us? Let's pray together. Oh Lord, as we read through the story of Joseph and the weeks to come, I pray that we would not be a people who simply appreciate the perseverance of Joseph. I pray, Lord, that we would realize that Joseph points to our true hope in Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we would see and it would truly touch our hearts in new and meaningful ways that you, Jesus, Left the security and the safety of heaven to come and draw near who were once shadows and enemies. To give yourself up for us. You who were plotted against. You who were sold into slavery. You who were falsely accused. You who were judged unfairly. You who were forgotten in prison and on the cross. You who were deserted and abandoned and betrayed by your brothers. You who suffered in silence. You who were stripped of your robes. You who also were exalted into high position and authority for our good. I pray that we would worship you. I pray that we would, with a new heart, come with gratitude to worship the one who came to pay for the very sins that were committed against you. And I pray that we would see our role in that whole deal, that we can see how good and glorious and mighty you are. Would you help us see that today, even as we respond in song? Help us see your goodness, help us see your presence in the midst of many difficulties in this room. Jobs not going the way they want, kids not behaving the way that they should, ourselves falling into secret sin, wandering and wondering if we'll ever have the power, if you'll ever intervene. Or those of us that are just, you know, embarking on new adventures that are just really difficult, fun and exciting, but also hard leaving communities that we love, finding communities that maybe we'll love. Or just going through really mundane difficulties, like it's Thursday and that's that. Wherever we are on this spectrum of life and character, spiritual formation, Lord, help us and meet us and remind us that you are with us through every valley, through every shadow. Encourage us along the way by the presence of your spirit and your good counsel. In Christ's name, amen. Let's sing.